As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. This is Internet Marketing. I'm Andy White, and I'm joined today by Felice. Hello. That's Felice Aiding from Site Visibility. Uh, Felice, today we're talking about getting the most from your email newsletter, are we not? Yes, that's right. Um, I think there's, um, if, if you take any notice of um, industry media, there's a lot of talk about how um, email's dead and, you know, people just aren't reading newsletters and they're not as important as they used to be. Um, so I just wanted to talk today about how to get the most out of your newsletter and give people a sort of some hints and some tips for, you know, hopefully increasing things like open rates and click-through rates so that they're still valued um, as part of the marketing mix. So one of the things um, I think we're all aware of is that we get bombarded with email. I think uh, there was a survey done a little while ago, and I think the average amount of time we spend per week is about 15 hours mm. dealing with email. Yeah, And that's, you know, most of that's probably essential email. So things that you absolutely have to open, you know, send, read. So all of the important stuff, which doesn't leave very much time for more of the fun stuff. Mm. So that basically means that brands have to work a lot harder to cut through the noise. Now, newsletters fascinate me because I, I don't know why. I've just got this idea in my head that newsletters seem a bit old fashioned. <laughs> are, are they still as strong as they always were? I mean, absolutely. You know, while, while we rely on them less and, you know, people tend to open them less, mm. they are still, a, you know, a vital way to keep in touch with your community. Depending on your industry as well, some industries are far more email reliant than others. Mm. Um, but I think for brands, if you're looking at more of a, an engagement type newsletter, um, even if you're not looking at, at e-commerce, if it's just merely sort of brand awareness, you know, they still have quite a good place. Mm. Um, but what they can't do is work terribly well on their own. So siloed out from all of your other activities. So if you're sending a newsletter out, you know, and you're not thinking about, you know, what you want your users to do with that information or 
whether it's even relevant, whether it's going to be eye-catching, whether it's linking back to another channel, then, you know, the chances are people aren't just aren't going to waste their time opening it or reading it. So has that changed, Felice? I mean, you know, know, five five years ago, which is like a millennium in internet terms, was that less the case? Was it, would an email newsletter stand up more on its own? Is it sort of becoming more important that it's integrated today more so than it was a while ago? That's probably what I was trying to say. Yeah, definitely. I mean, before we really got going with social, you know, email e-newsletters were, were really your main driver to push content out to your users. Mm. So, you know, ra- rather than waiting for customers to come and visit your website, you know, you'd send them regular updates about what you were doing, what you were up to, you know, offers, sales, all of those kind of things. Um, so people would subscribe so that they could get notified of, of what was happening. Mm. But with obviously the rise of things like Facebook and Twitter, you know, if a user wanted to engage with a brand like a, you know, a clothing shop or, you know, they'd they'd probably follow their Facebook page Mm. because then they're getting those notifications. It's obviously up to date um, as opposed to an email where, you you know, it could be a month before you get one Mm. and that information could be slightly out of date by the time it comes through. Mm. But what it can do is obviously for those people that perhaps aren't as engaged on social or just want the headlines, mm. you know, as long as you're making those emails are are relevant to the people that are opening them, it can still be a nice way to round up certain things and possibly provide exclusive information or news or offers. Or links to more in-depth stuff. Or links to more in-depth stuff. Yeah. So we thought we'd just talk a little bit about some of the the basics that can help you to get a bit more from your newsletters. Obviously, if you're, you know, you put time into crafting them, sending them out, you know, and if you start seeing figures dropping or, you know, people just aren't opening them, Mm. you're getting a lot of unsubscribes, you know, it can be quite demoralizing, you know, and get to the point where you feel like maybe it's just not the channel for you. When often it's just a case of it's not quite the right fit for what your users are looking for. Okay, brilliant. What's the first one? The most important thing comes back to you, you know, the, the kind of common train really with search and everything else that you're doing is, is putting the customer first. Mm. I think often brands make the mistake of thinking about what they want to say. So what do we want to tell people about this month? Mm. Instead of thinking about what are our customers more likely to respond to? And I think starting off with setting out some goals for your newsletter, I think is that, you know, is probably the most important thing most brands can do. So think about what you want your users to do. Mm. So do you want them to click through to your website? Do you want them to go and follow you on social media? Do you want them to share a piece of content? Do you want them to purchase something? Do you want them to fill out a form on your site or download something or watch a video? So think about all those goals and have them actually written down somewhere. And then every time you you decide on a piece of content for your newsletter, you refer back to those goals. And if it's not fulfilling one of them, it means you can quite quickly dismiss or you know, make decisions on whether content should go in or shouldn't go in. And I think once you've done that, think about, you know, the old rules still apply. So, you know, think about the length of your newsletter. So don't try and cram too much in. It's tempting, you know, if your newsletter comes out every month, it's tempting to try and tell people everything you've done in the month since you wrote the last one. They're a bit like those letters that um, friends that you don't see very often send you once a year, like yeah. with a synopsis of what's been happening in their family. It's about five pages long. Yeah, and it's too much. Nobody's going to read You get it. those too, do you? Yeah. You want, this, you is, want is the headlines. It, the <laughs> it could well be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, you know, you, you, you get an essay, you open it up, and it puts you off straight away. Mm. Straight away. So you think about having just short, concise pieces of content, so maybe, you know, three maximum of five stories um mm. the more you have the shorter they need to be i bet you're going to talk about i bet this is on your list to talk later but i'm going to preempt you do you think that the actual sort of layout of the email is as important now as it was or more important 
I mean, it still is. And again, it depends on the type of brand you are. Mm. If, say, your financial services, um, you know, quick, short bullet points with perhaps an intro, you know, two line intro that takes somebody back to the website or grouped content Mm. actually might work better for you. But if you're more of an engagement brand, then you might want to think about, you know, having some nice images and laying Mm. it out more like a almost like a web page. Yeah. Um, in that sense. And things like images can work quite well, again, depending on your brand and who you're trying to engage with. Mm. Um, but again, you have to understand what your who your customers are and what they're going to enjoy to make those kind of decisions. So again, it's, it's you know, it's, it's taking it away from not thinking about how you want it to look and what you want to say, but thinking about is the customer actually going to enjoy this? Yeah. Will, you know, will images improve this content? Will images make it more likely that people will actually click through or read the content? Obviously, you've got to think about size, you know, in, and not embedding things like text within images, because often people will open a newsletter and they might read it without downloading the images. Of course, yes. So don't, you know, don't embed the main point of your story within an image. Just use them to enhance the content. But making sure that they're broken up, you know, into clear chunks so people can see the individual stories. Think about mobile, you know, right around 50% of us course, consume yeah. emails on our mobile phones. So Again, if you're opening it on a mobile and it doesn't look great, chances are people aren't going to bother reading it. So even if they've opened it, they won't engage. So things like, I mean, you know, once you've decided on what your content is going to be, each one of them has a clear call to action and has been written well, then you've got to think about what the first thing is the user is going to see. And that is your subject line and who the email's from. Mm. And I think that, you know, these two things work in conjunction with each other, you know, who the email's actually coming from. Um, is actually quite quite important. You know, there's a school of thought about whether it should come from a, a name. You know, so if I were to send out a newsletter, it would come from, you know, Felice at Site Visibility mm. um, or whether it would come from Site Visibility News or News at Site Visibility, something like that. But using the from field for your brand can help because it means you don't necessarily need to include your brand in the subject line. And if you think you've got quite a short amount of time, you've got sort of 50 to 70 characters often, Yeah, it's actually shown in in the subject line or, you know, on someone's phone. That's really important, isn't it? Because people forget the, your email has, obviously it has the email part, but it also Mm -hmm. has the human texty part, doesn't it? Yeah. Like I'm Andy White. Sometimes I, I, I'm silly and I put Brigadier White or something like that. But you can control, can't you, what, what is actually put there? Yeah. You can control who, who, who the emails come from. Mm. And I think, you know, what that can do is that can work in conjunction with your subject line, Mm. you know, to pull people in. But that subject line has to contain some kind of value for the consumer, for the end reader, to mm. make them want to open it. Yeah. So things like, you know, just having something like, you know, Brand X newsletter, July 2014, you know, it's not terribly exciting unless the reader knows for sure mm. that every email they get from you contains really, really useful information, then they might open it. But if you haven't yet established that, then you do need to be thinking about from the end user's perspective, what am I going to get from opening this email? Mm. So you have to make something quite compelling and add value within the subject line and wasting that space by putting a lot of information about who the emails come from. Mm. You know, you're missing an opportunity. Yeah, sure. In terms of industry standards, you know, in terms of open rates and click-through rates, actually quite low. Depending on your industry, it varies. But on average, an, an open rate of between 20 to 40% it's actually pretty good. So if you've got a you know general open rate of 25-30%, you know from a brand's perspective if they look at that and think well that's less than a third of the people are actually opening it. But that's actually you know if you're in that bracket you're actually doing okay and don't necessarily need to worry too much. 
And as I see, it's an average each month. So not every reader will open every email. So if you've got a, a you know about a third of the of your audience each month is opening your email, you're doing quite well. And then in terms of sort of click through rates, so where you've got links in your email, if people you want people to actually click on them and follow that link to your Facebook page or to YouTube or wherever it is you want them to go. And I think the average click through rates there are about two to ten percent. So again, you know, these are, these are not massive figures mm. that we're looking at. So I think, you know, that's something that's quite useful for brands to be able to put that in context when they're looking at the data. Do you think there's a general expectation that click-through rates are going to be higher? Are people a bit yeah. naive about this, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think most brands feel like they want to see the majority of their, their audience opening and engaging with their emails. Mm. But it's just not the way it works. It just doesn't happen that way. We don't all... Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Engage with, with every message that we get. And because, you know, especially if you've got quite a large reader base, it's quite difficult to, you know, to reach every single one of them every single month. Mm. You know, sometimes you're going to vary your content. One month it might be suited to one particular part of your audience and the next month it might be somebody else that's more interested. There might be things like, you know, if you run regular competitions, there's going to be a core people that always open those. Mm. Um, other people, not so much. And also thinking about where you've got those signups from. And again, things like competitions and offers can be quite, you know, can work quite well to drive signups. Yeah, so yeah. there's incentives. Yeah. But often a proportion of those people are only interested in competitions. They mm. won't, you know, won't engage with the rest of your brand. Mm. Um, but when there's a competition up, you know, they'll engage, they'll share it, they'll go on Twitter, they'll Facebook, talk about it. So they're quite useful to help with your general brand awareness, but they may not necessarily convert the way you'd like them to mm. on site. So I think understanding the, the, the different uses your, your customers have in, in terms of what they can help you do. Uses, yes. And this, Utilitarian approach to util, clients. Yes, absolutely, mercenary. But, you know, at the end of the day, that is the, the kind of the point, isn't it? Most brands mm. don't, you know, engage with readers because they're, you know, very philanthropic and just want to spend their time making people's lives better and making them happy and sending them things that make them laugh. Mm. Ultimately, they want them to do something, mm. um, take an action that's going to benefit them as a business. Um, it's just the way the world works. So, you know, but I think then thinking about there's obviously there's an element of that, of wanting to engage on the customer's level. Mm. 
but all of these things have to work for both. Um, which I think you know brings us back to the point that we made about you know your newsletter not being something that just sits on its own. Mm. Um, it has to work with your other channels. So your website is you know is going to be the partner of your newsletter. So the vast majority of content you're probably looking to drive people back to your your website for follow a particular story or or a particular sign up or a product. And of course, if it's a specific page, you can track that. Uh... That's only available perhaps in the or mentioned in the newsletter. You can track that, can't you? You can. I mean, yeah. you can track all of it. You know, you, whatever links you've got in your email, whether it's, you know, social buttons in the footer mm. um, or your main website address, you can track all of those links. You can also track them to individual users. So you can actually see if you've got sort of some users that are clicking on it mm. quite a lot or regularly engaged. And you can obviously see those users that aren't, haven't engaged at all which can help you when you're thinking about sort of cleansing data and, yeah. you know, and cleaning people off. If they're not engaged with you for quite a while, then you think about whether they, you want them to actually stay and keep getting your newsletter. There's lots of different tools out there to manage email. Once you've moved away from Excel spreadsheets and you're getting to use even something very basic like MailChimp, which a lot of brands end up starting off with, mm. MailChimp can track all of that information and you can link it obviously with your Google Analytics so you can track all of those visits and then start to actually look up, okay, when we, they have come to the site, we've managed to get them to open the email, click on the link, they've gone to the website, what do they do then? Mm. So you can track that full journey mm. um, using things like MailChimp and analytics and there's other tools as well that you can plug in. When you get a bit more sophisticated and you start to you know, use sort of bigger and better email management systems, mm. then you've got full CRM systems. You know, that's when it all starts to get very clever and very smart. And that kind of leads us on to thinking about segmentation of your audience groups. Mm. And again, you know, if you think about, you've, you know, you've got a group of, I don't know, you might have eight, 9,000 people on your list, mm. you know, probably a lot more. You're probably looking at maybe 80, 90,000 people on your list and you're sending them the same email. So within that group, you could, they're probably clusters. So you could group together customers with similar interests. And think about, you know, so if you've got four stories in your newsletter, trying to include one that you think will match each group yeah. is a nice idea because then there's always something for, for, for everyone. But then most of the stories won't be relevant. So when you think about segmentation, if you could actually segment those people into groups and say these people always engage with this type of content, then you can actually create a newsletter that only really contains that kind of content and they get that version of your newsletter, mm. the chances are your open rates are going to go up, your click-through rates are going to go up because those people are getting a, a, you know, a, a set of information that is directly relevant to them. And there's things like this, you know, you can segment people by almost anything. Interest groups that, you know, are quite good or, you know, historic behavior or when they signed up, mm. you could almost have different newsletters for somebody who perhaps has only been signed up with you for a couple of months as opposed yes. to somebody that's been signed up for a year. So you almost have like a welcoming period where you introduce them to the brand a little bit more, you know, you pull them into the, the family, so to speak, um, before you start hitting them with all the offers. And then, mm. you know, if you've got other people that have been with you for a while and they regularly engage with you, you know, they're on your Facebook page as well, they could get slightly more tailored content, content that gives them the option to engage further or share more. Mm. So, you know, there's lots of different ways to, to segment your audience. And like I said, you know, you can get some very, very good CRM systems now that can automate a lot of that for you. So you literally just tag your customers up and you can auto-generate particular types of content at particular times for particular people. 
and it's all tracked and it all comes back. So it can get very sophisticated. It can get very sophisticated, yeah. yeah and you you're a full-time get, person. To, it is. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a full-time job. Space if that's scientist. What you're doing. To, uh, yeah. But I mean, obviously, if you've got massive, you know, masses of, masses of contacts, um, you know, at some point you're going to get to a point where you just, you're not going to mm. be able to serve them all. Yeah. And then, you, you know, you're trying to meet too many needs with mm. one channel. Mm. And again, you know, we're thinking about the type of content to include. You know, you have thinking about your newsletter as one channel mm. for all of your messaging means that you can just focus the content that's actually going to be relevant. So if there's other news, other things that have happened in your organization, the chances are you may have already shared them on Facebook. You may have popped it up on, you know, on the homepage of your website. You've probably tweeted it out. You might have, you know, put some, some nice photos or something on Pinterest. Mm. So then that content doesn't necessarily need to be included in the newsletter. Um, and for those people that want more information, that want more of that kind of content, you know, you encourage them to go through and follow your Facebook page so they can engage there as well. But it's good to keep some content back just for your newsletter so that it adds value. There's mm. no point if you can already get it everywhere else. But you don't have to try and cram everything in, all your news, all in one place. It's a bit like doing a podcast, isn't it? Because you're sort of, it's episodic content in a way. It is, yeah. And it's tempting to want to cover everything all at once. Mm. And thinking about, you know, if we don't tell them, if we don't put it in the newsletter, those people won't know about it. Mm. Because the chances are, if they're well engaged and they like your brand, they are probably are engaging with you mm. on other channels as well. And if they're not, there's nothing wrong with just putting a line in your you know, in your newsletter mm. saying if you want more of this or to stay up to date with our latest news or mm. to find out when we're out and about, why not follow us on Facebook? Mm. You know, and again, you can track those kind of links as well. So you can see if your, if your readers are actually willing to follow that and, you know, and engage with you elsewhere. One of the biggest things with email that I would just recommend, even if you're using something basic like MailChimp, um, is to test, test your emails. Yes. So you can test things like your subject lines. So if you're not 100% sure, which way to go. You've got a couple of things that you think, well, it could be this, it could be that. You could actually do a test, which means you can set it up in MailChimp, have the same newsletter, mm. two different subject lines, and then you can select however you want to segment the test is up to you. But the kind of basic standard is you say, right, I send this to 40% of my mail list. Mm. MailChimp will come back and let you know which one was yeah. more successful. And then you can say, right, okay, I'll send that version to the rest, to the other 60%. Yes, yeah. And that can be a nice way each month. It means you don't have to send, you know, if you are going to make a change, it's quite a big risk if you just send that version to everybody mm. because it may bomb and then that month you don't get all your numbers drop. But it, so it means you can just send it to a selection and just start to learn a little bit more about what kind of content, what kind of subject lines your readers will engage with, you know, more often than not. And you can test things like the, you know, the layout of your emails. You can test things like plain text versus HTML. Mm. You can test from the from email addresses. So if you've got, you know, if you think, well, you know, which one actually works better with the subject line. So you can test that as well. We never, always recommend only testing one thing in any one go. Yes. Otherwise it gets, you don't know which, which changes yeah. make the effect, do you? Yeah. No. So it's, you know, it's good. To, and it's good to go softly, softly, because what you don't want to do is put off those people that, that do open your newsletter mm. regularly. Um, a sudden change may mean that those people don't recognize it as much. Um, and that, you know, that familiarity, that knowing, you know, recognizing the email that it's coming from. Yeah. Um, you know, it's quite important to maintain that. But it's important to maintain style, isn't it? It is. I always like Kelvin's emails, actually, because they're very chatty. They're very, yeah, it's very chatty. Like it's from an individual person. I think he kind of is, though, isn't it, with Kelvin? He is, a, he is an individual much, person, I've checked. Yeah, yes. yeah, he is an individual person. But you can have that kind of voice as a brand as well. Mm. You know, so I think while email, generally in our working lives, we see that as more formal. 
with a newsletter, you can be quite chatty. Um, again, depending on your audience, who is it you're talking to? Do they want you to be informal or would they prefer a more professional tone? Um, so all of the things, you know, they, they all contribute. But I would say for anyone thinking about not like giving up on their emails or in their newsletters, I definitely recommend hanging on to them. And I think just, you know, just having a look at whether they're actually working for you and how you can improve them. Um, and just, you know, and just deliver a, a better experience for your customers. Because if, you know, if you give them something that's interesting and relevant, chances are they'll open it um, and share it and do what you want them to do. Felice, fantastic. I was just about to ask you if there was a summing, summing up sentence and you gave it to me anyway. Brilliant. So thank you very much for listening, everyone. Sitevisibility.com slash IM podcast is the place to go for the podcast. Overuse of the word podcast there. Um, if you've got questions, it's podcast again at sitevisibility.co.uk. We have a telephone line um, 01273 And if you're calling from abroad, instead of the zero at the front, do a plus four four. And um, of course, we're in iTunes and we... We, we do like uh, reviews and ratings, so feel free to um, put your two pence worth in. See you next time on Internet Marketing. It's goodbye from me, Andy, and it's goodbye from... Police Sailing. See you next time. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, the Kantar podcast now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.